ever noticed how throughout scripture we're given some pretty tall commands? Uh, the Bible says to be anxious for nothing. We looked at that passage a few weeks ago in Philippians. The Bible tells us that we're to love each other, not as we sometimes love, not when we feel like loving, not when we feel loved, but to love each other as God loves us. That overwhelming, never-ending, constant, <laughs> that's how we're supposed to love each other. Uh, I think the kicker is when First Peter tells us to be holy like God is holy. Like, that's a tall order. How in the world do we even attempt at following commands like that? Well, that's the question that we're going to attempt to answer this morning. Uh, the last several weeks, we have been working through a series looking at what church membership looks like here at Fresno Church. And part of that series has been answering the question, what do we as members believe? And what we've been doing is each week we look at a few different pieces of our statement of faith. And this morning we are going to look at our sanctification. What do we as a church believe about how we grow in holiness? What do we believe about how we become spiritually mature and how we become like Christ? And to start us off, I would like to read 2 Peter chapter number 1. So if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to 2 Peter chapter number 1. We're going to be referencing back to this chapter several times. It's going to kind of help guide our study this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There should be a black hardback one somewhere near you. Feel free to grab one of those and use it this morning as we uh, study First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter, chapter number one. Let's read Second Peter number one. I'll pray, and then we will jump into our Bible study. The Bible says, "Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ." To those who received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So to those who are saved. We looked at salvation last week and we saw how when we get saved we are given the righteousness of God by faith. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises. So that through them, you may share in the divine nature. Escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Since I, now, I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Verse 16. 
For we do not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray, and then we will jump into what do we as members believe? Part three. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit would anoint the preaching of your word this morning. I pray that as we look at the topic of sanctification, as we look at how we can grow in becoming more and more like Jesus. I pray that your spirit would anoint the preaching of your word. I pray that your spirit would make your word come alive to us. I pray that we would see your word and behold wondrous things in it so that we could be like trees planted by the rivers of water, trees planted for your righteousness to bring you honor and glory so that we can declare the glories of God with our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. Like I said earlier, sanctification is simply the process of becoming spiritually mature. It's about allowing God to change you in a way that makes you more and more like Jesus. Now the word sanctification, if you're to go look it up in the dictionary, means to make holy, or to set apart as sacred, or to consecrate. It means to purify or be free from sin. The Greek word that we see throughout scripture also means to dedicate to God. Now, we know that this, in some measure, takes place the moment we got saved. In Romans chapter 6, we saw last week that when we are saved, when we become alive with Christ and the old man dies, we are freed from sin. Romans 6, 6 and 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Paul even went so far as to say that the church at Corinth, which was a church that was tolerating and even participating in sexual sin, was sanctified. Like, I read that verse and I kind of scratch my head. 1 Corinthians 6.11. As some of you used to be like this. He says after he lists all these pretty heinous sins, he says some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And of course, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we're told that we are a holy people who have been dedicated or set apart to live for the glory of God. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we can see in these verses that when a person gets saved, they are set apart. They are dedicated to God. They are free from sin. They are made holy. Last week, we saw that how when we get saved, God makes us into a new creation and that we are given the righteousness of God. Being justified means it's just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I'd always been righteous. That is who we now are in Christ. 
But if you ask anyone who's been saved longer than five minutes, they will tell you that there's often a big disconnect between who God declares me to be and the way I live my life. When we got saved, our spirit became alive, Ephesians 2 tells us. We are now holy and justified. We are now set apart. Our spirit is sanctified. That's the most real part of us. But our soul and body still are in need of God's sanctifying work. We've been given the righteousness of Christ, but we don't always live like we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. So the process of sanctification is about living in a way that becomes more and more congruent with who God has made me to be. And this is the work that God is currently doing in each and every believer through His Holy Spirit. This means sanctification is a work of grace. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 are a great uh, few verses on this. Verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. So we see God is the one sanctifying us. Paul told the church at Thessalonica, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So our statement of faith will say, we believe that every child of God was sanctified or set apart at the moment of our salvation. As such, we are heaven ready and complete in Him. We also affirm that every believer has been called to continuous growth in a lifestyle of holiness patterned after Jesus Christ. This is made possible by the grace of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through the regular use of appointed means, the Bible, prayer, fellowship, Christian service, self-examination. This ongoing sanctification is not about earning God's love. But rather, it's the process of bringing our thoughts, our attitudes, and our behaviors into alignment with whom God has declared us to be in his word. Now, how does God accomplish this? And how do we go about joining God in this work? As we saw in our statement of faith, and as we'll see throughout scripture, there are appointed means of growth in holiness. So while it is a work of God, which we have seen, it is a gift of grace. It's a work of grace that God is currently doing we also will see that we also have a part to play. Go back to 2 Peter chapter number 1. I want to read verses 2 and 4 again. The Bible says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that... Through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. So what we see here is that sanctification starts with believing. Sanctification starts with believing. It is a work of grace. And Peter is telling us that this grace and peace is multiplied to us through the knowledge of God. The more you know God, the more you experience his grace. And the more you experience his grace, the more like Jesus we will become. Uh, one pastor said, knowing God is the means by which his grace and peace become large and powerful in our lives. One writer said, the channel from God's infinite reservoir of grace into and through our lives is the knowledge of God. We do not study scripture for its own sake, but because through it comes the knowledge of God. And through that grace and peace are multiplied in our hearts, in our church, and in our world. So the question I want to pose for us this morning is, do we believe what God says? 
Verse 3 tells us that God has given us, or that by God's divine power, he has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Do we believe that? By God's divine power, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Think about the power of God for a moment. Think about the power of God that was on display in Genesis when God literally spoke the universe into existence. Think about the divine power that was on display as Moses stood on the edge of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and all the might of Egypt are swarming down on him and the nation of Israel. And Pharaoh sta or Moses stands on the edge of the sea, holds up his staff, and God splits the sea wide open so they can walk through on dry ground. God's divine power. Think about the divine power of God that was on display as Elijah calls down fire from heaven, putting to shame these pagan prophets and demonstrating that God was indeed the true God. The power of God, God's divine power. Think about the miracles of Jesus, feeding 5,000 with a Lunchable, <laughs> healing the sick, raising Lazarus from the dead. Think about Jesus raising himself from the dead. God's divine power. Peter isn't talking about some man-made power. This is not a power that needs to be replenished. This is not a power that has limits. This is not a power that runs on diesel or gas or electricity or solar. This is God's divine power. And Peter says, by it, God has given us everything we need to live a life fully pleasing to God. Do you really believe that in your heart of hearts? Not just will you mentally agree with it, sign off, yeah, I'm a member, I believe that. No, do you believe it with all who you are? Do you believe that God has given you his righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus? You have the righteousness of God. Do you believe that you have been made new and that you are eternally secure in the hand of your Father, God? Do you believe that? In verse 4, Peter drives the point home when he says that we have been given great and precious promises. By these, we have been given great and precious promises. As if the promise he gave us in verse 3, you have everything you need, wasn't enough. <laughs> You've been given great and precious promises. And what's the point of these promises? Well, he says in verse 4, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may share in the divine nature, escaping, so this is an ongoing work, escaping the corruption that is in the world through or because of evil desire. God has given us these promises so that we can be sanctified. God has given us these promises so that we can be more like his son Jesus. But the question is, do you know the promises of God? Do you believe the promises of God? Do you spend time meditating on those promises? Soaking them in. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you believe the promises of God? Do you spend time in his scriptures so that you can grow in being like Jesus? See, our beliefs have a profound impact on our behavior. So it's vitally important that we have beliefs that align with scripture so that our lives will demonstrate behaviors that also align with scripture attempting to manufacture biblical beliefs that don't flow from a or biblical behavior that doesn't flow from authentic beliefs never works in the long run because eventually your behaviors always fall into alignment with what you really believe 
This is why renewing our mind with the truth of God's word is so important. Our minds are renewed when we spend time in God's word and when we spend time in Christian fellowship and when we do the other regular means. We mentioned in our statement of faith, that's how our minds are renewed and our minds are shaped. That is how we grow in our belief. That's how we grow in our knowledge of God so that grace and peace can be multiplied to us. The regular means we discuss in our statement of faith grow us in our sanctification because it reinforces in our minds and through experience what God says is true. This is why in verses 12 through 15, Peter says, I'm going to remind you guys about this over and over and over again. 12 through 15, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them. Paul, Peter's like, look, I know you guys know this. I know you're established in this, but I'm going to keep on reminding you. He said, I think this is right. As long as I'm in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me, I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at the time of my departure. Basically, Peter's like, look, I'm going to beat this drum until the day I die. And I'm going to beat it so much that after I die, there ain't no way you can forget. Why? Because becoming more like Jesus starts with believing. It starts with believing that you have been forever made new. Growing in Christ's likeness begins when we believe that we are forever loved and secure in the love of our Father. We saw last week, no man can take you out of his hand. Sanctification happens when we believe that God is good and that living a holy life is the best life that we could ever live. It starts with belief. We believe that God is the one doing the work in us. We believe that the Holy Spirit is directing us towards a life that looks like Jesus. We believe that grace always leads us into holiness. And it also happens that when we fall short, we believe we're forgiven. Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The first step in pursuing a lifestyle of holiness is believing. But it's more than just believing. Sometimes some writers, they'll focus so much on believing that they'll say, you don't really need to worry about the commands or the things you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. I just want to say, if that was true, the Bible would be full of promises and there'd be no commands. But there are a lot of commands. There are a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts. So simply believing is not all that is necessary for our sanctification. It's vital. It's the first step. Sometimes we get it backwards the other way. Where it's just like, I don't want to worry about what's going on inside me. I don't want to worry about all I believe. Just tell me what to do and we're good. Then you have people on the other side who are like, I don't want to hear the commands. I don't want to hear the lists. I don't want to hear what I'm supposed to do and not supposed to do. I just want to focus on what I'm supposed to believe and I'll be good. But neither one of those extremes are right. What we're told here in uh, 2 Peter is that it's believing, but then there's also effort. Growing in our sanctification is more than just believing. We also grow in our sanctification when we act in faith. Look at verse number 5 of 2 Peter 1. For this very reason, what reason? Because God has, because you have received faith equal to ours through the righteousness of God. Because grace and peace can be multiplied through the knowledge of Jesus. Because you have been given by God's divine power, you begin everything you need. Because you've been given great and precious promises. For this very reason, God's presence, God's promises, God's power, make every effort to supplement your faith. So sanctification starts with believing. And sanctification continues with faith filled obedience. 
Obedience is the response of faith when we genuinely believe. Now, before we look at this command, make every effort, and that's a command. That's something that we're told to do in Scripture. I think it's important that we notice what it's based off of. Verses 3 and 4 are not commands, but a description of what God has done for us. God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a life in godliness. For this very reason, then, we make every effort to be godly. Don't miss the connection. Since God has given power for godliness, we work to become godly. That's why belief is vital. We don't work to earn God's favor. We work by the power of God's favor, but we still work. We don't just sit around twiddling our thumbs. Well, I signed the statement of faith, so I guess I'm going to grow in holiness, right? No, 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 no. Peter says, make every effort. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has a great quote on this passage. He said, since it is God who by his divine energy has made you partakers of the divine nature, see that you use your grace-given energy. Rest not idly on your oars because the tide of grace carries your ship onward. Grace saves no man to make him a log of wood <laughs> or a block of stone. Grace makes man active. God has been diligently at work with you. Now you must diligently work together with him. That's great. <laughs> That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.7, rather train yourself in godliness. Work at it. Train yourself in it. Don't be lazy in your faith. Train yourself in godliness. He told Timothy later in chapter 6, but you, man of God, flee these things. He listed a bunch of works of the flesh right before this. And he says to flee those things and don't just flee the bad pursue righteousness so we're active we're fleeing and pursuing what are we pursuing this we pursue righteousness godliness faith love endurance and gentleness and then he says fight the good fight of faith he says fight because oftentimes growing in holiness feels like it's a battle our flesh is strong sometimes and so paul says to fight the good fight of faith he's saying fight because it's not always this easy walk in the park skipping through daisies he goes on to say, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul told Timothy, this is a fight. So pursue it, chase it, take hold of it. That's why Peter says, make every effort. Give your life to becoming more and more like Jesus. Now in verse 5, Peter says, make every effort. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. What does that word supplement mean? In the Greek, it means simply to supply or to present. And so when he says supplement your faith, he's saying supply your faith with these things. Strengthen your faith with these things. Present your faith with these things. We, we present, we strengthen, we supply our faith when we live in accordance with goodness and knowledge and self-control and endurance and godliness and brotherly affection and love. This is what it looks like when we not only believe the promises, but then we also access God's divine power and obey by faith. That's why he says, uh, when we say, when we say, I'm going to serve others because God is divinely enabling me to serve, that's faith-filled obedience. That's how we grow in our sanctification. When we say, I'm going to obey this biblical command, whatever biblical command it is, 
when we say, I'm going to obey this biblical command because I believe God has made me new and has given me the power to obey, that's faith-filled obedience. That's what this looks like. When we say, I'm going to say no to this temptation because I believe God has given me the strength to say no, and this is not what I really want, this is not what the Holy Spirit is leading me to, that is faith-filled obedience. That is how we grow in our sanctification. That is how we make every effort. And the more we do this, the more like Jesus we become. You see, sanctification isn't about getting God to like you more. I'm pretty sure he demonstrated that well enough at Calvary. Amen? But it is about you becoming more like Jesus. It is about, okay, my soul, my affections, my desires, my emotions do not always align with new creation, Nick, with redeemed holy person, Nick. Sometimes my affections are unholy. Sometimes my emotions are not proper. Sometimes my thought patterns are not right. Sometimes uh, the cravings of our flesh are not right. They still need to be sanctified. So because God has made me new and because the Holy Spirit in me is leading me towards Jesus, I'm going to make every effort to co-labor together with God so that my soul and my mind and my flesh can become more like him. And throughout the New Testament, we're told to work at it, work at this, to train ourselves for this. The visual of training yourself in godliness is the visual of an athlete who trains and works and pursues his goal. Yeah, there are times that athlete doesn't want to train, they don't want to work hard, they don't want to sacrifice. But they recognize they have a goal to pursue. They've got a bigger yes burning inside, and so they would rather train, work hard, or sacrifice so that they can meet their goal. Well, Paul told us in Philippians, our goal is Jesus. And so we train ourselves. We make every effort. We do things that we recognize, man, my flesh doesn't really want to do this. My flesh doesn't want to get up in the morning and read my Bible and pray. My flesh would rather give in to temptation. Sometimes my mind would rather surmise about people than taking every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. But we recognize that's not what God is leading me to do. That's not the way God is working in me. And I want to be like Jesus, so I'm going to train my mind. I'm going to train my flesh. I'm going to train my affections. I'm going to make every effort so that I can bring them into alignment with who God has made me to be. We don't do it to get Jesus, but we do it because we have Jesus. And I want to be like him. We want to be like him. We don't do this by our own heroic willpower. We do it believing that God has given us everything we need by his divine power. We do it because we realize God, grace is, is working in me. By God's divine power, I have everything I need. So we labor for virtue because God has already labored for us and is at work in us. We make every effort to grow in grace so that we're not, as verse 8 says, unfruitful or useless. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement, right? I mean, Peter's just telling it like it is. He's not holding back any punches. He's just shooting straight. He says, you don't want to be useless? Keep growing in your sanctification. I mean, you've got to appreciate the difference between Peter and Paul, right? Paul like, makes these really long philo philosophical legal arguments, these compound sentences. Peter's just like, you don't want to be useless, do you? <laughs> Keep growing. Verse 9, he says, the person who lacks these things... All the things he mentioned in verse 5 and 6 and 7, the person who lacks these things is blind. He's short-sighted. He's forgotten the cleansing from his past sin. 
One writer said the cultivation of godly virtues comes as we remember the gospel cleansing of our sins. It's not something we move past. It's something we remember and we enjoy our whole lives long. It is grace that changes us from the inside out. So we believe, and then because we're believing, we by faith act. We by faith work. We by faith train ourselves in godliness. Faith-filled obedience is simply believing what God says and then obeying what God says. It's believing God is doing this work in me and then making every effort to partner with God in that work. It's believing that what God says in his word is really what's best for me and it's what I really want and then laboring to make it real in my life. It's believing that the Holy Spirit of God is in me and he's leading me towards Christ's likeness and believing that the Holy Spirit will enable me to live a holy life. Sanctification is ultimately about surrendering to the work of God in your life as revealed in God's word. We believe that he has given us everything we need as a gift of grace, and then we act accordingly in faith. Now look at verse number 10. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort. Again, there's that same phrase, make every effort. We've got to work at this. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you'll never stumble. Now what does he mean when he says confirm your calling and election? It almost sounds like he's saying, do this, and you'll keep your salvation. But that's not what he's saying. He is not telling us to work hard or we'll lose our salvation. Uh, Jesus said in John 6, none of God's sheep will ever be lost. John 6, 39 and 40. Jesus says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's something so freeing and motivating about believing and experiencing the truth that you are secure in God's love. You don't lose God's love because you had a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year. You are eternally secure in God's love. But many of us have had moments where we wondered, haven't we? When our lives don't reflect the goodness of God, when we aren't growing in our knowledge of Him, when instead of self-control, we lose control, when we aren't godly, when we're not loving, it's easy to wonder if the Holy Spirit is actually inside of us. And the longer we are doubting our salvation, the more fruitless we become and little by little our souls get chipped away and eaten at and we don't experience abundant joy-filled life anymore we become spiritually blind and short-sighted that's what peter's telling us and the life and joy we experience at our salvation or the life and joy that we experience when we're growing in the lord seems like a forgotten memory that's another reason why peter says in verses 13 through 15 i'm going to make every effort to continually remind you see god wants us to know that we are his he wants his children to have joyful assurance that we are his children. God doesn't want there to be any doubts in our minds. So when Peter tells us to confirm our calling and election, that's not somehow to keep our salvation, but it's so that we can have confidence that we are saved. Because when we are co-laboring together with God and we experience God, we're like, yeah, I know that I am his because look at what he is doing in my life. It's not this proud pharisaical, oh, look at me, I'm so awesome. No. It's just this humble realization that this is just God. And as I co-labor with him, look at what he is doing in me. That's how the confidence in our eternal security grows. 
So Peter tells us to confirm our calling and election so that we can have confidence we are eternally secure. You see, this is why the Word of God warns us again and again and again not to be lazy in our faith. This is why Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight. Take hold of eternal life. This is why we're told in Hebrews, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with endurance, run with perseverance the race that is before us so that when you're running with perseverance and endurance by faith, you know this is the grace of God working in me. This is why we're told in Philippians to press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is why we're told here in 2 Peter, advance, grow, work at, make every effort to grow in virtue and knowledge and self-control and brotherly love and affection and love. This is how we reassure our hearts, Peter's telling us. And this is how we make our confidence firm that we are indeed called to share in God's glory and excellence. This isn't about earning your salvation or keeping your salvation. It's about the means that God has given us to reassure us that we are His. Now, here's some hope that I want to speak into this. If you feel like, man, verses 8 and 9, those are maybe more of my current reality. Pastor Nick, I feel a little fruitless in my life. I feel like my knowledge of God isn't growing and it just feels useless. Like, what's the point? Here's the hope. One, I want, I want to remind you that God is already working this in you. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion. God is working in you. Remember, this is God's divine power. You don't have to, John Wayne, pull up the bootstraps, you know, put the reins in your teeth with your two six-shooters of discipline, and you know. No, this is God's divine power working in you. This is based on the promises of God. The God whose word spoke the universe into existence. This is his word, not mine. This is how the Holy Spirit in you is leading. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to yield to the Holy Spirit? Are we going to allow him to do this work? Or are we going to quench the Holy Spirit? So remember, God is already doing this in you. And then secondly, I want to remind you, if you feel like the warnings of verses 8 and 9 are more of your current reality, you're not without hope. It's not too late. Sometimes people throw up their hands, oh, it's just too late for me. No, it's not. As long as God has you on this earth, God is not done with you. If you're alive, if you're on this side of the dirt, <laughs> you haven't drifted so far away, you cannot come home. I mean, think about the prodigal son. What better story is there than that to demonstrate this reality? I mean, he basically told his dad, you're as good as dead to me. I want my inheritance now. Then he went out and he ruined his life. He wasted his inheritance and he got to such a low point that he wanted the food the pigs were eating. Like, we've all been hungry. There's been seasons where it's like top ramen and PB and J, but I don't think any of us have been so bad off that we were like, man, that pig slop looks pretty good. And yet, what happened when he came back? Didn't even get his apology out before the father threw his arms around him. And then they threw the party to end all parties <laughs> to welcome him home. You see, you can't outsend God's grace. You can't out God's mercy. You can't out God's power. You are not somehow more powerful than the divine power of God. Get over yourself and run back to Jesus. <laughs> Jude gives us this great reminder. He says, and it's really, Jude 24 and 25 are really an expression of worship. But in this expression of worship, look at what he says. He says, now to him. So he's worshiping Jesus here. This isn't about us, but look at what he's saying. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy 
to our only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Whoo! <laughs> That's what God is doing in you, okay? You are not without hope, friend. You may say, Pastor Nick, but I've drifted. I've drifted far. That power Jude just worshiped God for doesn't really sound like it's got a limit. Seek Jesus. Those who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. And he promises, I don't lose any that are mine. So you come home to him. You can start surrendering to his grace today. You can start making every effort to grow today. You might feel like you're in a season that's fruitless or unfruitful, but friend, let me tell you, there is hope. You can begin to experience grace and peace multiplied in your life today. I love that. Not added, not sprinkled in, multiplied. Like grace and peace are multiplied. Like heaps upon heaps upon heaps. You can begin experiencing that today by growing in your knowledge of Jesus. By running back to him. Seek Jesus. Grow in knowing Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit in prayer. I would encourage all of us to ask the Holy Spirit this in prayer. What lies am I believing that are maybe keeping me in bondage to sin? What lies am I believing that's keeping me from growing in the knowledge of God? Or ask, what promise am I not believing that's causing me to not grow in the knowledge of God? What lie am I believing or what truth am I not believing? Ask the Holy Spirit. Get a group of friends around you who know you well, who you can work through this with. But pray and ask the Holy Spirit above all. Search me, God, and know me. He'll answer that prayer. What am I believing? Or what am I not believing? Make it your aim, your goal, your one purpose in life to know Jesus. Begin making every effort to become more like him. Not in your own strength, but in the strength and the power of and I love what Peter says as we wrap this up this morning. I love what he says happens as we grow in our sanctification in verse number 11. Look at verse number 11. It's the end of the paragraph here. He says, For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. The picture that Peter is giving us here is that the gates of heaven are being thrown wide open. Imagine a victorious army returning from the battlefield, receiving a standing ovation from their citizens. Hebrews tells us we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and so because of that, let's run with patience, and let's run with patience the race that's set before us. And what Peter's telling us here is that when we run with patience, when we run with endurance, when we make every effort, and when we do go home to heaven, the gates of heaven are thrown wide open, and those saints, they're going to richly welcome us there. Entrance into the eternal kingdom will be richly provided for you. Think about the joy of living an entire life of godliness and then the joy that follows for all of eternity when you meet your Savior face to face. Imagine how rich, well done, good and faithful servant will be. Think about the hope that will flow richly into your soul. I mean, there's days, guys, when your flesh is going to be so strong. And one of the best ways we can crucify our flesh is by reminding ourselves, look, this may seem hard now, but when I get to heaven, whoo, what a welcome there. So I can say no to this momentary light affliction. I can say no to this momentary light temptation. 
because I've got all of glory waiting for me, and it's going to be richly provided for me. So I'm going to stay faithful now because I know what's coming. Heaven is going to throw a party at your arrival. So on this earth, let's work for godliness because God is working for godliness in us. We believe that every child of God was sanctified or set apart at the moment of their salvation. As such, we are heaven-ready and complete in Him. We also affirm that every believer has been called. This is our calling. This is what we are told to do. This is what we're commanded to do. We affirm that every believer has been called to continuous growth and a lifestyle of holiness patterned after Jesus Christ. This is made possible by the grace of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through the regular use of appointed means. That's how we make every effort. The Bible, prayer, fellowship, Christian service, self-examination. This ongoing sanctification is not about earning God's love, but rather the process of bringing our thoughts, our attitudes, our behaviors into alignment with whom God has declared us to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these great and precious promises. We praise you for your divine power that in your love and in your mercy and in a divine mystery, Lord, you have seen fit to give us and to work in us. And I pray that as we leave here this morning, Lord, that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers only. We don't want to deceive ourselves, God. We don't want to just hear the word and go about away thinking we're okay, like someone who looks into a mirror and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Lord, we've looked into your word now and we want to be faithful doers of the word. And so I pray that we as a church would believe what you say is true and that we would by faith obey, that we would by faith follow, that we would by faith make every effort because we have been given the grace of God. We would make every effort to look more and more like Jesus because as James says, this person will be blessed in what he does. We ask this in